0: And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
1: The following podcast contains explicit language.
2: Hello and welcome to the Slate Political GabFest for July 13th, 2017, the I Love It edition. I am David Plotz of Atlas Obscura. We are all together again. That means a lineup, a diet of John Dickerson of Face the Nation. Howdy, John. Hello, David. And Emily Bazelon of the New York Times Magazine. Hello, Emily, still in Washington. Yay. How is oh, it how is it being in the swamp? Another, you know, it got hot couple.
3: this week, Whew. but I'm really happy to be here. I've been having a great time. That's great. <laughs> yeah. I'm so glad. Yeah. How's my,
2: my parents' house? Your Emily parents' stay in house my parents is house.
3: lovely. It's cool. It's peaceful. The backyard is nice. We've been having a lovely time at your parents' house. That's great. Thank you to your parents.
2: Yay. On this week's Gabfest, Donald Trump Jr. a chip off the old block and the snowballing story of his mysterious Russian meetings. Then is this finally the final chapter in the Obamacare repeal drama as a Senate? The Senate gets to its last moments with this bill. Is this our deathly hallows, our return of the Jedi with health care? I don't know. Probably not. No doubt we'll be talking about it forever. Then the New York Times is Mark Leibovitch drops by for a visit to talk about the state of Washington, of the state of this town in the age of Trump. Plus, we will have cocktail chatter. It is about 10 o'clock in the morning as we're taping on Thursday. So whatever stunning revelation is coming <laughs> today about Trump family ties to Russia or collusion or desirous collusion or what co- what was your uh, cu- collusion Curious, wait collusion curious collusion you know. curious john's great phrase about it whatever whatever is coming today has not yet occurred every day this week has brought us astonishing news about russian meddling in the election and the trump campaign's eagerness to embrace it the central figure in this cancer of a story is donald trump jr the scion of the president born on third base thought he hit a home run By now, you have all heard the story that Jr. received an email missive from the ridiculous Rob Goldstone proposing a meeting with a Russian promising dirt on Hillary Clinton and referring to the Russian campaign, to a Russian campaign to help Trump get elected. Trump Jr., of course, responded, I love it. And a meeting ensued between the Kremlin tied Russian lawyer named Natalia Vesalitz, v- can you guys pronounce it? You must have had to say it on television, John. Not
4: yet. No. And I'm going to Veselitskaya?
2: as well as Jared Kushner and Paul Manafort. We should also keep in mind, of course, that Trump and Trump Jr. and everybody else has lied and lied and lied repeatedly about whether they had any Russian contacts, lied on federal forms, lied to the FBI about it. Now, when it is clear they did have Russian contacts, they lied about what the contacts consisted of. So, how bad is this story for President Trump, John? I
4: mean, it's bad. It's a distraction. It undermines his ability to say there's no proof of collusion. Although we should talk about. Uh, I mean, it's obvious that the president's son was thrilled about the idea of collusion. What this doesn't, to me, prove is that actually collusion happened. Collusion, in the way we've been talking about it, is means an ongoing effort to work in concert with the Russians to get uh, Donald Trump elected. That's different than uh, um, what happened at this meeting or what we know happened after the meeting or anything like that. But anyway, that's
3: important for not getting ahead of the facts.
4: Right. And yes. So his position still is, whether it's the truth or not, his position still is that he didn't know about this meeting. So that's so we don't know. uh, Right.
3: But the we had nothing to do with Russia, my campaign, you know, Don Jr. This is Don Jr., not the president, but saying, like, this is a disgusting allegation. There's a whole sort of set of rhetorical outrage that has now been completely punctured.
4: Absolutely. Right. And so. You'd say it's a lot stickier for him and who knows where this will lead. Yes. And if the bar is so low for a meeting where collusion with the Russian government is promised, then presumably in other instances that since we know the Russians were in an ongoing constant effort to destabilize the election to help Donald Trump. Were there no other entry points of connection between the two? And if the bar was so low in this one entry point, it is not insane to think there might have been another instance where there might have. Now, none of that's been proved. But
3: can y- I add one more thing to that that I think is important? Which is, why would Jared Kushner be secretly setting up a back channel with the Kremlin five months later if there was nothing in between? And again, well, this I is have just the opposite inference. reaction. Actually, oh, really? Like, yeah. I'm like
4: if there was a collusion effort why would they have such a shambolic caper as this promoter sending an email which then Don Jr is excited to receive wouldn't there be existing set up channels for this collusion ah
3: but that is fine as a premise for like the bumbling way in which this approach was made but it doesn't to me suggest and again I re- we're in the ra- realm of like suggestion and inference but the notion that between July and That Kushner back-channel secret moment in December, I believe, there was nothing in between? I mean, I don't know. I just find that – I'm skeptical. I mean,
4: certainly we've
2: uh, things that have been said didn't exist now do exist.
4: Mm. So there's obviously there's the possibility a that and we
3: also again, know there's other
2: stuff. I mean, Michael yes. Flynn stuff is all going on in between in between in between. So
3: exactly. And we have this McClatchy story about how the Mueller investigation is looking into how Jared Kushner's data analytics potentially could have helped the Russians figure out how to target their social media anti Hillary. So, so hear that
2: story.
4: Oh, wow. yeah.
3: Yeah. Jesus. No, totally.
4: Yeah. Um, but I, I never got to my butt, which yes, is know, that unlike the unlike the question of obstruction, where the president is the central actor in that drama, in this case, there is still no evidence that he was a part of this. There aren't any facts that put the, Senate, the president at the center of this drama. They, they have now put the drama closer to him in terms of the circles of his acquaintances, but in terms of the president's jeopardy, while it's obviously politically quite damaging, or it doesn't get closer to him in terms of, it seems to me, impeachment issues, which again – since impeachment is not legal, it's political, you don't have the president at the center in a way that's going to get you know Republicans to start bailing.
2: Well, I want to talk about that, Emily. So there's actually been surprisingly little response, I would say, to the story from Republicans generally. And I assume that this is, I think there's the, well, we're going to allow the Mueller investigation to continue, and that's what we're going to focus on. And that gives Congress, Republicans in Congress, a pass to have to do anything. But there is absolutely no evidence that there's any internal movement to abhor to investigate to condemn to prevent the recurrence of this behavior it's just they just are not dealing with it is there any do you see any reason to think that republicans in congress are going to be moved by this they have not been moved by anything so far by the rampant corruption by the incompetence by all the other tremendous evidence of collaboration with our adversary.
3: No, I don't see any reason to think they'll be moved. And I have sort of two reactions to this. I mean, one is that if you think about the politics, it's pretty rational. If anything, they could see their window closing even sooner, right? So, you know, the rush to – that maybe this is the real reason they're not going out for their August recess. Like, yes, they want to pass this health care bill, but also they can see that – you know, already the time is ticking away. And if this um, is going to completely engulf the party and the government and the president, they better like pass something while they can. So there's that motivation. The other thing, though, that I keep going back to, and I mean, John, you know a lot more about this than me, but, you know, some of the set Republicans in Congress have staked their career on protecting the country from foreign interference, especially from the Russians. I mean, back to the Cold War. And so the notion that they would stand by while potentially, you know, our longtime enemy and Vladimir Putin, a alarming world figure, is literally potentially infiltrating the presidency and the government it's i do find i understand that the base has not fled from trump but i find it like shocking just deeply shocking i'm going to retain my right to be shocked about that because it is crazy and if you imagine what would be happening if president obama or hillary clinton had anything like one
2: twentieth of this
4: One one hundredth of it
3: it's just i i yeah. just find it jaw-dropping
4: The previous standard was that to even suggest that anybody in the Trump campaign was in conversation with Russians trying to meddle in the election was an abhorrent smear. Kellyanne Conway suggested that when I asked her about it. The vice president did as well. Uh, even the president's son, was, when I asked about it by Jake Tapper on CNN, suggested that even to hint at there, the idea there was any conversation was a calumny uh, that shouldn't even be uttered by responsible members of the press. And now one of the defenses is essentially, hey, nothing happened. So he got an email, you know, no big deal. But if you just focus on the response to the email, which is I love it, and then let's go have a meeting with people claiming to be from the Russian government offering information. By the previous standard, by the reactions when asked about it uh, over the last many months, by that standard, this was you know uh, uh, a grave act.
2: But if the American public or the representatives who represent them from the Republican Party will not make a consequence of that, will not hold that president to account, will not – you know, say that this is a, a serious issue, it doesn't matter. It's incredible.
3: And that's frightening. And,
2: John, you didn't really answer Emily's point, which is you have this these people in Congress who have made such a big deal about – these issues in the past and who have so abandoned it and it well, is and you have John McCain who'll say things, you know, he'll say a Lindsay word Brown. or two or I
3: right. Oh think right. but that's
2: people. but there's there's no there's no active effort and maybe maybe they're like well Mueller's investigating and we'll just let Mueller, I, Mueller do it I think they're But, but, but they ant-
3: can't be like that cuz Congress also has to investigate sorry John but they, but,
2: so well they don't want to there is a sanctions package that voted overwhelmingly out that of that the is not that has nothing to do with it
3: that punishes Russia law. that does sure.
2: not punish the the wrong actions of americans so hold on just a step back
4: so if the claim no. is what do these senators do <laughs> who care so much about russia So that's the answer. The senators who care about Russia and Russia's threat to America and the threat as it was um, uh, demonstrated in the last election by interfering in the election, they have, in fact, passed legislation designed to punish Russia for that thing. Which is still
3: not law because it is stuck in the House.
4: One of the things that's really interesting, though, about – and the the biggest development, if you care about Russia and the United States and its relationship with that adversary slash enemy, is the meeting that the president had with Vladimir Putin and the disclosure over the weekend, seemingly by the president. Then he wants to basically move on so that the Russians will pay no penalty for interfering in the election. And the reason that's important is there are a number of people, including former candidate Donald Trump and his secretary of state, who argue that if you show weakness towards Russia when they do something, if you don't punish them, that they then are invited to go do more things. This has... Excited the passions of those people in the Republican Party who are worried about Russia. And they then uh, ridiculed essentially the president when the president announced as one of the, the great achievements of the meeting with Vladimir Putin that they had this joint cyber unit. I mean, when Marco Rubio, who is a pretty risk averse politician, is saying that a joint cyber unit with the Russians is like a joint chemical weapons unit with Assad. That's a pretty universal condemnation of an idea, again, related to those Republicans who Emily was talking about earlier, who who are not fans of Russia and where do they behave. So that's a place where they can react. And not have to get into but having it's to so jump on but Donald it's Trump so
2: Trump. easy to react. I could react. I mean, we can all react to Russia. I mean, who, who it's, it's as easy as pie to react to Russia. That's, yeah. There's no. What's the why? Why are they so incredibly unwilling to look at this? That's but, clearly abhorrent reprehensible possibly illegal certainly unethical and and wrong-headed behavior also, can and I one and more and stand up but the
4: idea it? but the idea of the claim was that they're not living up to their previous standard of being uh tough on Russia so if if the claim is they're not being tough on Russia then no the not fact just that they're tough
3: on Russia well also that's about claim. the United States and how we protect our democracy and our right to have our own free and independent government well, from interference but
4: that's why they voted to impose sanctions on the country that was perpetrated the, the, I mean, you're talking
3: about a ha- like a, a half-passed bill. That's it. Like, well, the, the
4: senators can't pass a bill through the House.
3: I, look, these I, it's are just people. Like, these are people. This mean, is a party. Well, wait a this minute. is a. Wait, this what, is a party. what else would you have this
4: them do? Go uh, on cable TV and wag their John, finger. What's more useful? You don't Passing? think these Let people wait, have any? This is, what, so? this is a party. This
2: is a party that, that spent to, most I, of that I'm spent most of the 20th century rooting out. You know, you know, right. communism so what would you, and rooting so wait, out Americans okay. who they perceive to be siding with, be with, an enemy, with an enemy, with an adversary. What, what
4: thing would you have them do that is more substantial than passing uh, sanctions that would actually punish? the Russians and that the Russians don't want.
3: I think the congressional. What would you actually have them the do? The Senate Investigative Committee, Senator Burr's committee, they need to be saying this is the moment when we really get to the bottom of this. We make what we know public. We drag all these people out here like we're ramping like it who? up. We're take like all of them, like, like Don who? Jr. Like, asked
4: Don Jr. To, to, but do
3: you, Jared Kushner, these people, should all. Kushner. they have asked him, but it all is happening kind of slowly and sedately. There is no sense of urgency. Or anything like approaching like a five alarm. But fire still, going by the way, right now,
4: which is more punish? Which punishes the Russians more? Sanctions or having Jared Kushner testify? But
3: you are assuming that are, punishing are, the yeah, Russians pr- is the only thing on pr- the pr- table. And I, but just you guys think that's are saying bullshit. the
4: entire standard of the question and the debate has been these guys are total hypocrites because no, they hated Russia no, and now they're not. No, no because it's no, only no, about all about protecting the United States. Go back and listen. protecting the United States against who? No, but Jared s- Kushner? Uh, no, yes, Yes, against people who. Americans customized.
2: who are betraying the country and undermining and who, a Democrat, I mean, look, democracy and undermining the electoral system. Else, Absolutely. If
3: nothing else, we know now how vulnerable these people were to blackmail. Also, I got to add one more fact to this because I really think this is important. The president of the United States said to the AP or Reuters yesterday, I think a lot of people would have taken that meeting. I mean – That is like with – on the basis of that email, the the part of the Russian government's effort to – like that is creeping up to the idea that collusion with Russia or at least – the potential of going down that road is acceptable conduct for someone who is running for president. That is something that Republicans, like they are very good at reacting slash overreacting to allegations like that, to intimations like that when they feel like it. Instead, we're seeing like this incredibly flabby, quiet nothing. Like this is the nothing burger of the week.
4: So that point I totally agree with. So the speed with which Jared Kushner is or, you know, is going to testify doesn't do much for me. But at this moment, when somebody is trying to suggest a new norm about what happens in campaigns, particularly on this question of what happens with respect to Repu- with with respect to the Russians, who the previous nominee of the party said was America's number one geopolitical foe, to suggest that a, that an email that comes and says the Russian government is trying to help your father. Uh, And we've got dirt that that just accepting that and saying, oh, yeah, sure, I'll take that meeting is normal. It is the responsibility of people to say, no, that's not normal, because while many, many, many things have been done in campaigns that are under underhanded, I mean, Richard Nixon working with the South and North uh, Vietnamese to slow down the peace talks so that Humphrey wouldn't win is pretty grim in terms of the kinds of things that have happened in campaigns. But there have been instances Tom Downey when he got what was supposed to be the briefing book from the Bush campaign in 2000 handed it over immediately to the FBI and recused himself from debate stuff when he worked for Gore. Goldwater chose not to go after Walter Jenkins when he was arrested for a lewd act in the YMCA bathroom. McCain restrained a lot of things about Obama's race that were brought to him by people wanting to take on to Obama. Dean Rusk, in a quote that I just found, in the 1968 race, they're talking about these wiretaps they have, showing that Nixon was trying to slow down the talks in order to hurt Humphrey. And Rusk said, Mr. President, I have a very definite view on this. This is about whether to use the wiretaps to hurt Nixon. I do not believe that any president can make any use of interceptions, or telephone taps in any way that would involve politics. The moment we cross over that divide, we are in a different kind of society. That was on a taped phone conversation with Johnson, and they decided not to use the wiretaps to hurt Nixon.
3: Well, I'm really glad you brought all of that up, because also now we're back on the same page, and I am going to bring up a law in addition to all the norms we're worried about, which is the foreign solicitation ban. So we have this law on the books. It's illegal to ask a foreigner for a contribution. Giving anything of value, and that can be goods and services as well as money, is a contribution. And so asking a foreigner to give goods or services to a campaign below value is illegal. I have stolen all of that from Adav Noti on Twitter. But look, the that is a really broad law. And I've been thinking this week about whether it's overbroad and Eugene Volick, a law professor at UCLA, I think— Argued that it violates the First Amendment because it's such a broad prohibition. But the reason we have this broad law is that we want to make sure that our elections are free from foreign influence. There is no reason to think that other countries are on our side in making sure that we remain free and independent and have fair and free elections. That's just not something we can assume, and that is what's at stake here. I'm not sure that anyone broke this law. Like this is where we don't want to get ahead ahead of the facts, but the the fact that we've constructed these rules to to um to be so broad is indicative of what's at stake
2: i i want to make two final points one is john i think you are vastly underplaying the responsibility of of the legislature of the united states to to, to pass ins-
4: sanctions legislation
2: no. no to ensure to ensure that that our elections are free and fair and not disrupted and that americans themselves are not getting into bed with people seeking to undermine the very foundation of democracy i don't know if there's a crime committed but i don't think it's enough for john mccain and lindsey graham to mutter a couple of of uh you know vaguely condemnatory phrases every now and then i think there does have to be actual interrogative action by Congress and actual intent to buy Congress. So that's the the first point I would make. The second point I want to make is at the same time, I also think that Democrats and liberals. Are awfully uh, premature in their celebrations and their glee and their. They, there's been this kind of Twitter uh, delight in declarations of victory in the last few days, which I think are so misguided. They, they this, this Wait,
3: be more specific. Victory about what? When well, it it's
2: just like this. A, there's a there's a, a sense like, well, it's game set and match. Done. We've got it. Now we've we've nailed right. it. Like we've found evidence of of collusion or the the. Basically, a smoking gun of collusion is just, you know, we now it's just a matter of getting some prosecutions done and, and this presidency is over. Yeah, Th- this right. presidency does not end because they we find collusion with Russia. This presidency has so many other dangerous things going on and it's going to persist. And like the, the Democrats are in such a better position when they argue on issues, particularly around health care, around taxes, and to spend as much mental energy as – their spending on this issue I think is going to be a mistake for them.
3: Well, it's so- got to be both, right? I mean you have to in a like sober way pay – I think it's important for Democrats to pay attention to like not ignore it. But I completely agree with you pr- imagining that this is like – this, this email was a smoking gun of a sort that we rarely see. Let's give it its due. But it is has not proven a crime. It's not directly tied to the president, as John was saying. And like even with Nixon and Watergate, it took almost two years.
4: So if, if actions are more important than words, what kinds of actions can Congress actually take so they can convene? Hearings and t- and have committees f- do focus on one issue more than any other. So you've got the House Intelligence Committee and the Senate Intelligence Committee fo- focusing on this question of Russian interference in the election above all other issues. Television networks are covering the hearings live. That gives you some sense of the of what Congress is doing. There are two committees and the Intelligence Committee in both the House and the Senate. Then you got the Judiciary Committees in both the House and the Senate looking into this issue, and you've got the only piece of uh, substantive piece of John, bipartisan you know legislation. They, hold on, wait a, minute, wait, a minute, wait, wait, so wait a minute. You know they are slow walking those committees. You know it. Wait a minute, You've been in Washington. You're a forty-nine minute. year
2: old person. You've you been can, in Washington all this time. For you to the say, ground. for you to say that the Senate and House committees are engaged in a really vigorous attempt to, to ferret out the truth and very active is like that is so disingenuous. No, no.
4: All I'm doing is trying to uh, is trying There's to respond to the thing Ray's you actually said. Christopher Wray's nomination,
3: the director of the FBI. Trump's choice hold for on. the FBI is about to get confirmed. With like, hold on,
4: hold on, let's stop shifting the ground. Let's stay on the original but that's ground of the. Nothing
3: they can do. You well, no, asked I what they could Do, <laughs> but here's
4: so that's a good point. No, that's a really good point. But let's go back to the previous ground, which is the David's claim that only a few words are being mumbled. So if that's true, then there would be no hearings. Now, the, the hearings may be slow walk. That is a totally new piece of ground we can debate about that, and and just assume that you're relinquishing the original argument, which I assume you are since you've shifted to the new ground. Well, so no you one's have, relinquishing, okay, any oh, on, so on. relinquishing any ground here. we're not relinquishing any ground. The claim that all that the claim that all people have done is mumbled a few words is wrong on its face you can say... Do you
3: think they're doing everything they could do That's and a different claim. Doing? Well, that's that's a different ask claim. That.
4: So now that's a new claim. Are they doing everything they should and could be doing? Okay, so your claim about the FBI director is perfectly right. So should he not get the job? That's a really interesting question. I don't know what the answer to that is. What would the grounds be for him not getting confirmed?
3: If you really were concerned, you could just say let's hit the pause button on the FBI that maybe this president, we, we don't want to get ahead of the facts, but we also are not sure we can trust his choice and so this is an incredibly sensitive position this is the person who is going to be overseeing the investigation of the campaign and of this russian influence and you know what we're not going to confirm anyone right now
4: who oversees it now
3: Andrew McCabe, who's the FBI interim director, who's a career guy. And like, as far as we know, it's happening. I mean, we are about to be in a position in which Bob Mueller and Rod Rosenstein are like standing between us and the end of having oversight over having an investigation into the president and his top people. That's it. If, if Trump decides to fire Mueller and Rosenstein either resigns or lets that happen, like that's then the, the game. New FDI,
4: then the new FBI director is you the only other. You think
3: this guy who Trump just appointed, I mean, no, I just no. like, it is it is actually, we are up against the wall in a way that is like potentially scary. I don't, I'm, I'm so not. Why do you think
4: no Democrat raised that in the issue, in the, in the hearing? That, I don't know. Argument.
3: I think this is like, personally, I don't know why we are filling this position right now. It just seems. Seems like a big mistake like there are just not enough safeguards in place right now the guardrails are too thin they're not enough people
2: all right let's move on before uh we get to our next topic slate plus members you get the lucky chance to hear us talk about the terrifying climate change article that appeared in new york magazine and whether it, that was a fruitful and valuable uh, piece of journalism? Is it good to scare people in order to get them to do things about climate change or not? If you are not yet a Slate Plus member, go to slate.com slash GabFest Plus. This episode of the GabFest is sponsored by Aura Frames. Are you ready to win Mother's Day? Cement your reputation as the best gift giver in your family? Give the moms in your life an Aura digital picture frame preloaded with decades of family photos. That mom will Love looking back on childhood memories, seeing you what you're up to today, checking out grandkids, checking out cousins. And even better, with unlimited storage and an easy-to-use app, you can keep on updating your mom's frame with new photos so that it's a gift that keeps on giving. This is how I live in my family. I gave my mother an aura frame. It was either for Mother's Day or for her birthday. She absolutely adores it. She's constantly hectoring me to update it with more photos, which I do. I also gave my girlfriend's mother an Aura frame, and I hope she Hectors my girlfriend to update it with more photos, but it is a present that will bring absolute delight to a mother in your life. And they have a great deal for Mother's Day. Gapfest listeners can save on this perfect gift by visiting auraframes.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code GABFEST at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. This week marks the 87th coming of an Obamacare repeal bill. Will it be the last one? The Senate is working furiously this week to revive and pass its uh, BRCA. I can't even remember what that stands for. Do you guys remember?
3: Mm, Better Care Reform Act?
2: BCRA, maybe. Nice. BRCA. BRCA.
3: Oh, but that makes – no, it doesn't work.
4: I think it's Bikra.
3: Bikra. You're right. I'm sorry. So maybe I was right.
2: Bikram yoga. There we go. Nicely done. Well, the teamwork – I think that's
3: wrong. I think better care is right and the rest is probably wrong.
2: (laughs) No, there's an RA. There's definitely an RA. Like every freshman dorm, it has an RA. Uh, The senators have returned from their July 4th recess where many of them caught hell from constituents about support for the previous version of Bikra. Uh, according to one poll I saw, support for a sender dropped 30 percent when the poll E was told that the sender supported a bill. To
3: which sender? That's <laughs> no, in general. Yeah. Oh, like, in general. Yeah. Like the generic yeah. senator. That's um, excellent.
2: They are attempting one more re- re- rewrite. I think it has been revealed uh, today, although we, I haven't seen it as we're taping. But it's expected to contain – Medicaid cuts will basically remain – there will be uh, some sweeteners some some of the taxes won't more
3: funny more funding for opioid abuse treatment
2: and it I think I, I don't know John maybe you know the answer on this it's expected to contain the, Ted Cruz's Freedom Amendment a two track healthcare scheme that most experts say would be absolutely catastrophic for people with pre existing conditions it's like it's like the the death spiral um,
3: brought to life it, death spiral so
2: insurance yeah. plan.
3: Uh,
4: I think that is will be – well, it depends on the how – They the, were going
3: to uh, score it with and without, right? Right.
4: And also to, they, they've got to put that out there to try it for either face-saving reasons or uh, – it's hard to see how you – if that gets – if that becomes a part of this, how you don't lose your moderates. But if you don't
3: try it, then you never get Cruz Lee and it, maybe Paul. Though Paul seems like he's not going to vote anyway. anyway.
4: Exactly. And you also need to – people like Ted Cruz, you need to say if you're a Republican leader – we gave you all the room you could you could run. Uh, you know, you had a chance to, to convince your colleagues. You had a chance to make this case that this is a failure of getting 50 votes, not a failure of trying because, you know, Senate leadership is weak and doesn't uh, aren't, aren't true conservatives. So it'll it'll be in there, um, but it won't. Uh, I don't think it's going to go very far.
2: But the the amendment won't go very far. Or the bill's not going to go very far.
4: Well, the, the, uh, I guess no, the amendment and then the bill, because if it falls off there, I don't see what gets Cruz and, and Lee on. And I mean, Lee has basically said if it's not a part of the bill that he won't vote for it. So that's and, one.
3: I mean, Heller and Collins, to my surprise, seem to actually holding their ground against voting for the bill. And Rand Paul said he wasn't voting for it either. That's three. I mean, maybe that's silly and they'll move. But I've been impressed, actually, at the. The the things all three of them have said will make it hard to shift to, – to change gears at this point.
2: It, so, John, is it – do you think it's going to get to a vote? Do you think – I mean, did, did yes. do you think McConnell has a plan to get it passed? I don't
4: see. I don't, I don't see how it passes. I don't see um, – because of this problem, which has been baked in the cake since the minute the – they started trying to deal with healthcare, which is you just have two irreconcilable positions. Um, and if you do anything to, I mean, the, the, the bill or the amendment that um, Cruz and Lee are putting forward, which if people haven't been following this, it essentially allows insurance companies to not have to listen to any of the Obamacare mandates as long as there's one plan in a state that would contain those mandates. The problem, of course, is that all the sick people go into the Obamacare plan, the premiums go through the roof, they aren't able to pay them so that while you may be able to, in theory to say that the pre-existing conditions are covered, quote-unquote covered, the plans in which the plan, the vestigial Obamacare plan that's left that, that has all the mandates that are a part of the Affordable Care Act, it's so expensive that it only covers it in name only, but not actually in a way that actual sick people could get covered. And that's that's something that the Republican leadership doesn't like. It's not just the so, so-called moderates who don't like it. I
3: mean, the other thing that keeps, keeps striking me about all the sausage making is that it's so ideological in nature. So the only argument that's coherent that I hear for what you just described is like, we're unleashing the power of the free market except like first of all there is no such thing as like a quote abstract free market markets are constructed they depend on how you construct them but also it's like this fantasy that is not how the provision of healthcare care has worked and as i understand it there are a couple of states that tried to create these separate pools and it was a total bomb there's something deeply anti-pragmatic about all of this that makes it very hard for me to take it seriously right.
4: well they the risk pools can work if you dump a Whole mountain of money on the risk pool. So but the I thought I...
3: Republicans didn't like to dump mountains of money on people.
4: So the the way it could work is you set up this digital Obamacare plan, and then you say the premiums will be this percentage of your income no matter what your income because you shouldn't be penalized if you just happen to be a wealthy person who's sick and has pre-existing conditions i mean you shouldn't in a society that decides that you they want to help people who have pre-existing conditions have access to healthcare regardless of of income anyway that it would be a percentage of your income and that that would slide with healthcare inflation i mean that's a way you could pad um, That vestigial Obamacare plan essentially making it a risk a funded risk pool. The problem is you would then be hooking up the federal government to a huge and expensive thing that I don't think any uh, Republican would be excited to do and unless you have guarantees that are kind of baked into a formula – uh, a person wouldn't be able to vote for that in good conscience because they would know that the, that unless there's a formula that grows with healthcare inflation, it's not going to grow fast enough to actually take care of these people.
2: And and there's actually even a flip side problem of the whole thing, which is that the light plans that Cruz would allow wouldn't cover, wouldn't have to cover chemotherapy, pregnancy, hospitalization, prescription medicine. So you'd have this whole situation of people who gaming who like, are going to take a risk and say, like, I'm not going to get any of these things. And so oh, I can pay oops. these cheap plans. But then when they do, there's this whole other problem of, like, how are those people going to be covered for the things which all of us end up having to pay for? And it's, they,
3: all of us only – so if you – I mean, to, to give this more of its due, it is true that our existing Obamacare system asks healthy people to subsidize – Sick people. That's in addition, what an insurance
2: pool is. i Yes,
3: yeah. I totally understand. But Community if rating. you were really going to solve for that problem, you would move towards something like a Medicaid or Medicare buy-in or single payer. Except that you are believe that you know any kind of government involvement in the provision of health insurance is anathema and socialism and is going to destroy the country. Right? It's like only if you're trying to separate out the to 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 not blend the risk pool in this way that makes insurance fail and you deeply oppose government involvement in providing health insurance that you get to this answer.
4: One of the things that's been interesting is that senators from rural states or states that have a lot of rural hospitals have been worried about what this bill will do, uh, Republican senators. And this, again, is another surprising – I mean the president who has been essentially absent from this debate, which is amazing, again, when you think about it, his skill in the private – world was as a marketer both as a politician
3: don't forget
4: you know he turned in from being a real estate guy to being a guy who sold basically his name to being a tv guy like he knows how to market stuff in the in his previous life and the marketing of this has not um shown the the fruits of his expertise but also in the bill itself it the the forgotten man who the president campaigned for The reason these senators are worried about rural areas is because they get hit, and that's the part of the Trump coalition. So how the Trump coalition can get this far down the line and still be in jeopardy by a bill being put together in the era of President Trump is um, a failure of execution, if nothing else, um, and kind of amazing. And then one other thing we should note is the – there's an obvious t- tactical reason for the way that uh, that Mitch McConnell is doing this, which is through reconciliation, which only requires a majority of Republican votes. Uh, but as Ezra Klein wrote, I mean, this is a total backwards way that you're supposed to do legislation. We shouldn't forget in the shifting uh, standards of our times that normally what you're supposed to do is get, you know, go through a committee, both sides get their say. Uh, and it gets worked out Could have in, a the, hearing
3: or two. in the
4: process. Mm. And this process is not the normal way of going about Well,
2: well this. there's this r- bizarro thing where McConnell threatens that Republicans might have to work with Democrats to stabilize the health markets if they, can't, if they can't pass this bill. I mean, it's like, oh, my God, if we can't do this by pushing it through all our own, we might have to go through a normal legislative process with the other people who are in the legislature with us. Shocking. I think Shocking. some
3: fear that somehow they're going to pass this.
2: Is, um, if it fails – John, is this – first of all, do Republicans continue – do they own Obamacare or do Democrats own it? And is this healthcare just like now done until that we have some massive other change where there's a veto-proof, filibuster-proof majority for people somewhere?
4: Well, there are some competing pressures. There's the tax scorekeeping pressure that you need. It makes tax reform easier if you can cut some of the taxes as a part of the Affordable Care Act. So there's that reason that you would – it will make tax reform more difficult. Um, secondly, the – the a lot – that some of the money in the Republican Party, the Koch network uh, maybe primarily has said we're either going to turn off the money to you for 2018 or we're going to be – very stingy because you haven't delivered you haven't delivered on tax reform and you haven't delivered on repealing the Affordable Care Act so if it doesn't pass there will be those penalties and it's that pressure that may very well get some people to act uh when when it may look like it's in uh, a perilous state right now
3: the forgotten Um, man or the Koch brothers who would you choose
4: uh and then the president told Pat Robertson in an interview on Wednesday night that he would be very angry, and he just kind of stepped back away from it, but it seemed like he – and, of course, he's declared before that he was going to move on. Remember, after the first House bill died, he said he was going to move on, not going to do health care, going to go right to taxes, and obviously they went back at it and were able to pass it. So I think it's hard to know what's really going to happen until the thing uh, it collapses, if, in fact, it does.
2: I, I, my view is, like, if it doesn't – if they can't get this bill passed now, they're just basically, going you to know, abandon health care reform. For some indefinite future. I
4: just don't know how they
2: can do that. I
4: mean, I I, because I, I think of the
3: box for tax reform. Or tax I think the cuts. box for tax.
2: I think the box for
4: for future tax cuts, they want to they want to pass as a part of tax reform. But then I think. Yeah. And then I think also just like there's a not delivering on your promise of seven years. That's what's motivating a lot of this behavior. So that doesn't go away even if they don't pass it. And that energy still continues to kind of knock on the door. There's going to have to be a response to that. And I, so I don't think the response will be to do nothing. I, but I can't predict what the Could response
3: Could you still do big tax cuts with that 10-year sunset provision like they did the last time?
4: Right. The problem with that, yeah, it's not the preferred way to go, which is you do tax cuts that all disappear after 10 years so that you can get, um, fulfill the budget requirements. But the problem is that it doesn't lead to the kind of wholesale reform that their supporters want, and that and that they want because it's so temporary. People can't kind of plan.
2: Oh, things are rat fuck. Sorry, pardon my French. Emily, do you think do you think there's going to be a bill that's passed?
3: I. I guess that i bet against it but i think that this whole all of the dynamics that john was just describing lead me to think that it's not dead and that it's possible that's like i don't it's like i can't see the votes for it but i also don't think the politics of not passing it are acceptable for the republican party
2: well but it's it's not the republican party it's sort of are there
3: are there 51 senators yeah. right when i, I mean, try susan count-
2: Col- i don't feel like susan collins cares about that issue susan right. collins doesn't Agreed. It doesn't doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't care, care about, about. She doesn't like, care about the, the reform repeal like, we
3: promised. She, oh, know, right. She'll brothers. be okay. Like she's planning to run for governor. It right. seems like. I, yeah, I agree with you. And I also have been surprised. I thought Dean Heller was going to start to cave. Fast, and he really hasn't. And the other thing is these Republican governors who are trying to stand there and support some of these senators, they haven't moved either. I mean, it also is just from the point of view of like the impact they're going to have on people's lives, the potential upheaval, the polling on how much people disapprove, how scared people are of this kind of change. Like there are a lot of reasons against it. So, yeah,
2: if you liked that conversation about the health care fight. You're gonna love Trump Care, Slate's podcast about the fight over healthcare reform. Three times a week, Slate reporters Jim Newell and Jordan Weissman discuss the latest twists and turns in the bizarre legislative saga, and they update listeners on how worried they should be about the future of healthcare. Download and subscribe at Slate.com slash Trumpcare.
0: Plus.
2: In a cover story in the New York Times Magazine on Sunday, this town melts down. Mark Leibovich, the chief national correspondent of the magazine, a colleague of Emily's, we should note, uh, paints a portrait of Washington in the Trump era. Mark, of course, is the author of the mega bestseller. What year was that, Mark? What was, uh, you? It was 20, you- um 2013, 2013 mega bestseller, this town, which is a chronicle of life in what he called suck up city. And so he's gone and updated it. He's tries to show how a how a city that runs on chirons and proximity to power and greed has changed in the Trumpish era. So, Mark, what's the what's the basic thesis of how Washington has changed? Uh, The basic thesis is –
1: well, first of all, I wanted to look at whether – I mean, just to what degree the swamp has been drained. And I guess the conclusion was the swamp is more – it's more like a gold-plated hot tub at this point. You have all of the – qualities of Washington that I tried to write about a few years ago, the incestuousness, the hyper, the the sort of creeping obsession of celebrity, the fixation on money, the wealth, the self-dealing has been in a way exacerbated. And I think the real wild card now is that access to power and influencing the White House and influencing the president has been mediated through the completely capricious and random whims of Donald Trump.
3: Super. Sounds great. Gold-plated hot tub. Where can the rest of us sign up? So what are the implications of this? I mean, it makes a huge difference for the kind of power class in Washington that things have become unstable and mercurial. Does it matter in terms of the government and policy and the lives of people who do not live inside the Beltway?
1: So far, it hasn't because nothing has gotten done. I mean, you have these parallel universes playing out where you have all of the Michigas of the White House and all of the news cycle – that is generated around that with what is going on in Capitol Hill, which is its own flavor of dysfunction. And obviously, there's a symbiosis between what the president's agenda is and what the congressional agenda is. And I mean, you have just sort of two flavors of dysfunction kind of merging right now in this summer of incredible discontent, overlaid by this just frenzied news cycle that I think is just messing with everyone.
4: You do in the new uh, in the new swamp land, though, you do have – when things don't get done, that's actually helping somebody. So, for example, when you have regulations uh, removed as a part of the Congressional Review Act or you have the FDA, the FCC, the EPA all not doing the kinds of active things they would have done before, that helps certain industries. All of those industries have – inroads into the administration and in fact for a president who who campaigned against having lobbyists or big donors in his administration it's full of them oh absolutely Uh, and who campaigned on uh Term limits has never talked about it. I mean the the swamp draining agenda, as articulated by the president, and and uh, and that you beautifully in the piece write about with Corey Lewandowski. Those the 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 swamp draining agenda has a not been achieved, and then as you say, what what it's been replaced by is the same kind of system where the people are not represented, but the interests of those in power create a class and a club that then people have entry to and spend their time trying to maintain entrance in that club or, or membership in that club.
1: Yes, it's true. I mean, Corey Lewandowski is the perfect example here. I mean, Corey Lewandowski is someone who has no cachet in government, no Washington experience at all. I mean, his career is basically grounded in having been a kind of journeyman Republican operative. He latches onto Donald Trump early on, becomes his campaign manager. He gets bounced from the campaign, I guess, about a year ago disgraced but not really disgraced because he still talks to Donald Trump. Trump, out of nowhere, wins. And all of a sudden, Corey Lewandowski decides that instead of going in to the White House, I'm not even sure he had the opportunity to do so, he can now be this extremely well-paid and catered-to power broker who these corporations are just lining up to pay because he can get the president on the phone. There's this anecdote in the story where Corey is holding court in the middle of the Trump Hotel, which is kind of the – radiant epicenter of this new swamp, and uh, Anthony Scaramucci, who is another great kind of Trump era character. And that's the
3: best name. Has a great name.
1: He's known as the Mooch. He is known as the Mooch. He he goes back, he said to his nine-year-old Little League team, the Mooch, I I can't even, the the Mooch is just perfect. So the Mooch comes over. He says to Corey, Corey, I just want to thank you for that thing you did at the White House today. He thanks Corey like three times for like in four times in five minutes for like doing him a solid. And it turns out what Corey did was he talked to the president or someone, I think I assume it was the president to get the mooch a job in the administration, which was some ambassadorship to the European economic OECD something. It's based in Paris. It's got a really plum place, a nice, nice, nice place. He was, he, there was some problem getting him his initial job, which was the head of the white house liaison office due to his sale of his company, and subsequent to that nomination, he has to be Senate confirmed, he was named, I think, head of the Export-Import Bank, which Trump, during the campaign, called excess baggage.
4: But and is now okay with. Isn't it? well like I said in the story. You, you had know, a
3: great line about claims. this. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah.
4: The OECD always sounds to me like something you're going to see one of those prescriptions on TV for, <laughs> you know, if you have OECD, the prescription is a large beautiful
1: home in Paris. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which can cure most ailments. Yeah, absolutely.
2: So one thing I noticed mark about this piece is that there're basically no democrats in it. That it's, it's a true. that it's you have great scenes. There's an incredible scene of Trump sitting alone in his office. Uh, watching a re-, re airing of Fox, and hoping times, that you'll come that in and would,
3: talk to him to relieve his boredom, that, even yes. though you had no appointment and no plan. Although to it might have been, been staged, that whole thing
2: might have been staged. Do you think if you were but staging something, staged, something, you'd stage like, yourself sitting alone watching Fox and for Friends what? for
1: On repeat. Well, this is interesting. I mean, this, this, there's like many levels of self parody and parody going on with the, with the, what I'm about to say, but. POTUS is watching a tape of Fox and Friends, which was on four hours earlier. Apparently he missed it. Twelve thirty in the afternoon. He was not eating lunch, but he was watching Fox and Friends in this little conference area right off the oval. And uh here's where the meta self parody comes in. So I told this story on Morning Joe yesterday. <laughs> and the president, like about within the next hour, tweeted something about how
3: I'm not watching I don't too watch much TV. too much
1: TV. <laughs> Um, Because I guess in the course of this conversation, someone remarked about how he watches TV all the time. And, yeah, so the layers here are fun. I mean, I think there's part of me that thinks sometimes that the president is on so many levels above us as far as, like, humor humor genius. I mean, his – God, look at the faces around the table.
0: Uh, oh, I are not Waiting the for level, the second the, half no, of this just sentence. The
1: levels no, of self parody and Oh, you think it's intentional? Is, no, no, I don't think it's oh, intentional. Way well, that's why. But credit, that, please. what I just said, I think is funny.
3: It's funny, (laughs) but it's unintentionally funny.
4: But, you know, also, I
3: still feel like we're all this is like fiddling while Rome burns. I mean, Rome's not burning because there is no huge crisis. And I think also what John was pointing out are these like hidden ways in which swampland actually has enormous influence on the rest of the country. And it's just this is what happens kind of beneath the surface that we don't see.
4: The president ran to drain the swamp and fight for the forgotten man. And what you don't see, and build in, a wall and lock her up. That well, that's that's tr- that's true. The what you don't see in in your piece or in any other piece is anybody saying we have these meetings and we can't get anything done because the president keeps saying those people who come to my rallies and who stare up at me and who have put all of their hopes and dreams about the country are not being done right by what you're doing, and you've got to make sure X and Y and Z the whole idea of the swamp is that it's a club everybody protects themselves in and it it encases them so they don't have to worry about the forgotten man that's the whole critique of the inaugural address and you never hear a you have there has that yet to sense. be a single anecdote where they say he is just obsessed with with delivering for the common man
1: you're absolutely right and i actually it's a critique if you want to be sort of clinically political about this i mean messaging has been such a weak spot because you could say that about everything uh he doesn't play that card virtually at all but i mean i I think but what's interesting too is the the swamp I mean hundreds of millions and billions of dollars have been spent for decades to make things not happen. I mean industries Mm -hmm. pay for things not to happen. They pay for their – not to be an immigration bill. They pay for not to be – or they pay – No
3: cleaning up the stream. Cleaning up the stream.
1: Exactly. And – the same sort of um, dynamic of things not getting done is just
2: being, I guess, channeled to a different set of influence-peddling characters. Mark, one thing that you're really good at is you're really good at the theater criticism of Washington and sort of as a spectacle. And one of the things that's striking about this article versus the book that you wrote, it's kind of joyless. Like, that, you, I think you see, you know, that a lot of the patterns are the same as they were, but it really feels like there's not a lot of the kind of glee and spirit and sprezzatura that you found five years ago. Do you that, think it's
1: – That's I, a great point.
2: Do you think that's true?
1: I do. I think it's extremely joyless. And Is that
3: because these people are don't understand Washington and aren't reveling in their takeover of it because it's not working the way they want it to? So
1: there's a small core of kind of ragtaggy characters in the White House and in the Corey – world but for the most part i think a lot of the joylessness is that most people of both parties intuitively know that this is not right and it's not normal norms are being exploded in ways that might not return to to anything we've ever become accustomed to and i think that's really sad and what's weird is that that coexists with what is incredible wealth and incredible prosperity and a Bizarrely, you know, just a cooking b- bull market. So you walk around here, and there's this feeling of, of incredible, just like prosperity, and yet there's this mood of joylessness, which I think is a good word.
4: And you c- capture that in the uh, in the great conversation you had with Congressman Rooney, and also then in portraying Paul Ryan as well, which is the the people who are attached to but not of the the White House.
1: Yeah, I mean, there there is this yawning gap, and this is sort of a larger philosophical discussion but the yawning gap between what Republicans on the hill especially say publicly and privately about this administration and this president I'm mean, adding I privately most of them are appalled um, publicly they are to either um, you know, politic or cowardly whatever you want to say to say anything like that publicly because they have this shared agenda and they're scared and they're politicians and
3: but, they don't want to face primary challenges and the base is still with trump
1: absolutely that's it's all true the fact is most of them know better i mean sean spicer who's the kind of the lead character in this knows better i mean he was a denizen of the swamp he play i mean he knows what a norm is he lived according to norms um, and he sort of tried to become a crossover figure where he can now put his feet in the other camp and, you know, leverage whatever you know, whatever notoriety he has to like a new career and a new brand for himself.
4: This is the problem with it. The exploding of norms would be great and fine. and your first book, uh, or first book in the series. I'm already assuming this is a second volume. Um, yes, seriously. Is, no. um, you never know. Was Someday. kind of screaming out for an exploding of those norms because in, uh, in in your book the norms were keeping everybody padded and safe and happy, and so it was almost a you know a call for people to come in and, and blow things up. So that part is great. It's totally that, disagree. To what, 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 well, totally I, disagree. That's fine. With that. That's fine. That's fine. But the the, the that's really the prepar- preparatory marks for the second part, which is to what end for what purpose so you come in you disrupt great but disruption the Uber still has to arrive when there's disruption. In other words, Uber was this disrupting force, but it was a disrupting force in which people got a ride to a place faster and more conveniently than before. Th- if it's just putting everybody out of business and the car never arrives, it's not disruption, it's chaos.
3: I think that you are using the word norms in a funny way. I'm going to be overly sensitive because I wrote a piece, a language piece about norms this week in which I was arguing that norms are as important as law for the functioning of democracy. And the reason is we can't codify everything. So I feel like you're talking about the padding and the swamp as the only kind of norm that exists in Washington or the kind that it's great to disrupt. But actually, the thing about norms is that they are also key democratic values. And yes, like some of them entrench power and are bad and we can complain about them. But the notion that you get rid of everything that isn't a written down law and then you change the bar so that it's only if you break a law that you've done. So, but that is like this weird yeah. world we're living in. So it doesn't make any sense like Uber arriving is also a norm right
4: right? so but there's no way you're i mean i've so as the person who is constantly talking about standards and uh no of course all norms can't be blown up that would be crazy so no i'm just talking about the things that were norms that protected people in their comfortableness, not that made life better, that pre- protected democratic institutions, that caused people to, to treat each other like humans and not judge mm-hmm. motives instantly and all of those other important norms that are part of civilized society. In this specific case though, I'm talking about the norms that were in in Mark's book and that are right to be exploded. I mean norms are not – universally wonderful the Some wrong norms, norms have right. been exploded I, but see
0: totally.
2: I, I i'm just gonna make my 10 second stance for i thought actually this town i thought people overread this town as being like what a horror show my view is like that's fine like it's good to that people have social commerce with other people who are ideologically opposed it's good that people are cutting backroom deals like if we had more would- of that if we had more of this town the 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 functioning of government would be even better. But
3: you always romanticize this. Like there is also a problem with that. So when you oh, look sure. at the political science sure. literature on this from like fifty years ago, when people were studying the folkways of the Senate or Southern politics, there's like a big 1949 book on informal back-channeling in Southern politics, it also can, of course, like, I mean, this maybe this is like too obvious to even say, but it can just entrench the already powerful, make it so that one faction continues to have domination long after its utility and keep other people out. And that's like related to the kinds of norms that John's talking about exploding. I,
1: I mean, I guess I, do, I think if you were to sort of look at the norms we would have been talking about circa four years ago, if I could sort of like have you ut- retroactively utopianly How's that for a couple of qualifiers? (laughs) Put like a couple of like radical norm-shattering things at that period. It would have been some kind of radical lobbying reform or anti-lobbying reform. I mean I guess you could have a conversation about term limits. So that's sort of a different category. Some kind of radical campaign finance reform. I mean, there are actually prescriptions. And what you're really
3: talking about is the influence of money, The influence right? of money, the revolving
1: door. I mean, these are all things Obama paid lip service to in 08, um, never really took. And he kept having all these waivers and, and exceptions, and, and he didn't do much. But, and
3: Right. And that's a problem, right? Because then the Democrats are not pure. Yeah. But, but we've now moved, like, radically, to borrow that, your yeah. word, in another direction in which, like, conflict of interest norms for the president and his family, which right. we never thought we had to write down in a law because it just seemed really obvious you would do the stuff now are being like broken well, every single day. Also,
1: but what the president and what his supporters in many cases are doing is they are trying to excuse a lot of his really, you know, I think, outside the lines behavior as just, you know, the kind of norm shattering that he ran on and that he was elected on. And I think that's, that's right. potentially really dangerous.
4: Also, I think the distinction, David, what, what there's a distinction between what you're talking about and I think what Mark originally wrote about, which is there's a distinction between the The systems that grease the skids and harness self-interest, but harness it within boundaries, because everybody's self-interested. So you need some some uh, dealing that will uh, make legislation happen. That's. A perhaps defensible case, which which you've made before and which we've talked about on here. But I think what Mark was writing about is the system that allows self-dealing purely for the self-interest of the person involved, where there are no boundaries set up by the system that was supposed to keep people's self-interest kind of within the guardrails, but that they're totally gone so that you can operate in a city and look like you're engaged in productive behavior when the only thing you are producing is more comfort for yourself and your friends. Right.
1: I mean, I would say, too, I mean... I mean, again, I hate to go back to Corey Lewandowski, but there is this... First time I saw him after the election was at the Super Bowl, okay? I was at the Super Bowl for this book I was working on, and uh, it was a VIP pregame reception, and who should show up in shorts? And there's all these owners and, like, maher's around, and Corey shows up in shorts, and I said, what are you doing here? He goes, oh, I'm a guest of Microsoft. And so, you know, Microsoft, I guess one of his clients, has just decided to send him a ticket to the Super Bowl, and he's down in Houston living it up, and... I mean I don't know who else I, well, I don't know who else Microsoft sent to the game, but you know four years ago you probably would have seen you know a lot of better dressed more established former hill people I don't know I mean it's just maybe it's just a new flavor of swampiness again <laughs> mixing metaphors is there
4: anything? now with more swampiness Wait. all
2: right so what closing
1: thoughts do you guys have on norms? One point I would like to make is that I haven't read Emily's story yet, but I think that any, is there needs to be a story exaltation. on norms that only quotes people named Norm, like Norm Ornstein. <laughs> so
3: when I was Googling to work on this story, you know, of course, <laughs> I started out, I was just like, Norms, Trump, no, does it work? Norma, Norm, someone because or other? Norm Ornstein Problem. himself
1: is like in someone who actually is an authority on norms. I mean, this is... And Norm Eisen shows up yes, in this. There's correct. a lot oh,
3: of norms God. who have something to say Absolutely. about norms.
4: And it does call out for at least four different words for the norms that Emily wants to protect, the norms that Mark's first book was about, what David was talking about. And I feel like there's a fourth category here. Um <laughs> Um, the proper name,
1: yeah. We should the
3: have rock awa- values of democracy. That's what I really. Here's what, been. right?
1: We should have an award show in bedrock. which the people who are the best at either shattering or perpetuating or improving norms are recognized. And uh, Norm Macdonald could host it or something, <laughs> or any anyone <laughs> came
3: up too in my googling. Mm.
1: Really, I should hope so. Although Nor Macdonald is a fanat, everyone should go watch the ESPYS that he hosted in 1997 with some of the most offensive. Horrific lines ever, which are kind of funny. we are
2: so off the top. I don't <laughs> even know Norm McDonald topic. is. We're talking about norms. Guy. Norm, Norm. Mm-hmm cheers <laughs> all right but there was no actual substantive point you wanted to uh, additional substantive point you wanted to be made and asked no
1: um, no I'm more of an entertainer okay <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. no uh, just read the story you know, Okay,
2: read the uh, book all right Mark Leibovich of the New York Times Magazine read his story which uh, I've now forgotten the headline between, between the time we started this town our uh, town melts. melts down this, this town, town melts, melts down. down this town in the it Sunday New York Times Magazine thanks for coming by Mark great to be here guys Let's go to cocktail chatter when we're having, we're having dinner this weekend. We can all chatter at each other. What will we be chattering each other about? John, what's your chatter?
4: Uh, My chatter is a double chatter. One, it's about a new book about Chester Arthur, a president everybody makes a lot of fun of if for no other reason than those extraordinary sideburns he had. But there's a new book out by Scott Greenberger about Chester Arthur, which I have not actually started reading, but looks very good because Chester Arthur was essentially this hack politician kind of stumbled into the presidency, but then in the office kind of tried to be the better moral character, ends up not even getting his own party's nomination, But fights the machine to put him in and I've always kind of had this soft spot for Chester Arthur. So I'm intrigued by that new book and the idea of a president thrust into the moment actually kind of not reclining into the easiest way forward but actually being pulled by – The standards of the job in another direction that they had previously in their (laughs) career and history not not been interested in. So that's one thing. And the other is just a shout out to the Miller Center at UVA, which having just spent a lot of time with the Johnson tapes for the most recent whistle stop, they have done such a fabulous job with presidential recordings, not just the the audio, uh, but also that all the transcripts and the great thing about the transcripts is particularly on the Johnson ones. You can read them and they are They deliver entertainment just on their own basis. I mean, regardless, you don't need context. They're a joy on their own, but they have this great context with this great little web feature where – anytime you come across something like the old when when uh, Johnson refers to the old China lobby, you just click the little plus sign and it gives you like two sentences on on what he's talking about so that you can understand why what he's just said is so important. Anyway, they've just done a fabulous job and so if you're ever bored, go there and just check out any random uh, presidential recording and you will be satisfied.
2: How many times did you listen to the like barbed bar, wire fence, the, the Hagger slacks guy?
4: I didn't, well I've listened to that so many times in, in uh, previous life, but in this one, there were uh, surrounding this Anna Chennault conspiracy um, to to slow down the Paris peace, peace talks. It, there were a lot of them, and listening to Johnson try to play these like calm down Nixon, but also calm down Humphrey, so that his little tiny little peace pause at the end of his presidency will will go through. It's just fascinating listening to him. And then at one point he reads, I think it's Richard Russell, a um, letter from Clark Clifford to him telling him how great he is, which sounded exactly like what some of the cabinet aides said to the president during that strange cabinet meeting where they all praised him for the cameras. The language of Clark Clifford's note to the president was like it just exactly from that press conference. So it's a uh, anyway, all kinds of little random uh, gems in there like that. Emily, what's your chatter?
3: I decided to chatter about some good news for a change. The Consumer Financial Protection Bureau put a rule into effect this week that is going to push companies out of forced arbitration and back into the courtroom when consumers and employees have access to grind with them. It's kind of amazing that in this administration this is happening. This is something that corporate America really tried to fight. They don't like these lawsuits, these big class action collective lawsuits in which people get their money back and get their rights vindicated. And the glory for companies of forced arbitration is that basically nobody ever go bothers to go through the process and win any real value because you have to do it individually and it's all behind closed doors. And the CFPB is like standing tall. This administration. They did a huge amount of like reporting and research before they put this rule into effect, and it is actually happening. So, you know, there are plenty of people in the Trump administration who have called for defanging the CFPB or shutting it down or getting rid of the head of it, Richard Corder. But so far, it's like doing its thing and it's kind of amazing.
2: All right. So, my chatter is so frivolous. It's amazing. There was an incredible tweet that went around earlier this week which has now been elaborated into an article on BuzzFeed. It's from a woman. The tweet was a woman named Shelley Zhang. It was a tweet was just her text exchange with a friend of hers named Chris Chappelle. And Chris Chappelle had never read the Harry Potter books. And so he was reading, he decided to read them and was reading them. And he, he um, had gotten to the fifth book, The Order of the Phoenix. And he was just tweeting to Shelley because he had some questions because he thought that he, Shelley had told him that the plot took a darker turn in the fifth book. And so he starts to tweet to her about like, wow, it's really surprising that bit where where um, where Harry and Hermione are having sex. And that part when <laughs> when Dudley commits suicide by jumping off a building and the part where She was like, Wait a second. And when Hermione sends Harry, the book starts with Hermione sending Harry a picture of herself in a bikini and, and they realize gradually that it's that he's been reading a fan fiction version of the Harry Potter book. But the, the whole
3: time or just for the Just for the fifth book. Just for the fifth book. But he had totally gone for, he totally gone I didn't for it He live That's awesome. It
2: is the text exchange is just so so funny
3: <laughs> the, so what does he say when he figures it out
2: <laughs> he's just he's really disappointed
3: <laughs> <laughs> so he's, I like the so like, version so better like,
2: so he's like so I guess there's no mention of necrophilia in the real books either <laughs> <laughs> Just, it is, I, BuzzFeed wrote the whole thing up. It's really great.
3: That's excellent. Then
2: he, then he actually, he, he, he clipped and pasted <laughs> a
3: bit of the book, which is fun. <laughs> David has now completely cracked himself up. Oh, wow. I might that's have David. I don't Harry, think I've ever seen David. The, I know, the he's the like Harry,
4: lost
2: it. He cuts and the Harry and Hermione sex scene. <laughs>
3: <laughs> All right. Well, David is just hysterically giggling over there. I'm going to re- use this as an opportunity to recommend a book. Have you ever heard of <laughs> Fangirl by Rainbow <laughs> Rowell? Uh, there are these two books about writing fan fiction for a series that's like basically a takeoff on Harry Potter. They're really good. <laughs>
2: Yeah.
4: <laughs> anyway, we we have to get taped CPR. <laughs> I
3: know exactly. Sorry. How are you going to get out of the studio? <laughs> my nose is all stuck. <laughs> <laughs> He's
4: <laughs> having a complete collapse. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh God! God that's right. great.
2: That's a show for, for today. <laughs> for the Blackwood Cab it's produced by Jocelyn Frank. Our intern is Kevin Townsend. Leave us a rating in Apple Podcasts. It really helps us. We can rise in the rankings and get, reach more people, get more attention. Please go rate us in Apple Podcasts. We need it. For Emily Bazelon and John Dickerson, I'm David Plotz. We will talk to you next week. I think we'll be together again next week. One more time. Hopefully. Yeah. Inshallah.